The subject that I'm dealing with is entitled Testing the Spirits, Biblical Clarity on the Charismatic Movement. The very first point that I'd like us to accept and deal with is the fact that you, you cannot be a Christian leader, a preacher, in the church at the commencement of the 21st century without soon realizing that you will need to deal with the, the crisis that has been brought into Christendom uh, over time by the beginning, the rise and growth of the charismatic movement. Like any movement in history, it's a mixture of the good, the bad, and the ugly. And therefore, there's need for, for clarity, for perspicuity, for you and me to be able to, uh, to see through what is going on, especially as we lead God's people, so that we are a safe guide, that there is stability uh, in the way in which we are leading God's people and God's church. In the midst of the kind of variety and at the same time the, uh, the numbers that make up so much of uh, today's charismatic movement, one has to ask the question, where do I draw the line between those that we can agree to disagree on some aspects of the, uh, the content of pneumatology, the, the doctrine of the spirit? Where can I draw the line between those who are conservative, they still do their best to expound scripture, and the ugly on the other side, the, those that are, for all intents and purposes, unsaved, wolves in sheepskins. Where should I draw the line? It seems to me that the Achilles heel with respect to this movement, and especially in the African context, as it has evolved further into the deliverance movement, is simply the lack of discernment. In other words, it's as though as long as people give some kind of pretense to doing miracles, surely God must be with them. And anyone who questions that is the one who is seen to be merely divisive. And because of that, the danger of eroding all that we have come to genuinely treasure in the Christian faith across history is very high. Basic teachings of our Lord, such as what he was teaching towards the end of that powerful Sermon on the Mount 
when he was saying, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. Such simple, straightforward statements by our Lord Jesus Christ tend to be completely shoved aside under the statement, you are being judgmental. And yet, today, we desperately need clarity in this area. Otherwise, we will not be safe and sure guides for the people of God. I find no more pertinent scripture in answering this question than First John chapter 4, verse 1 to verse 6. So please turn with me there. John, the beloved disciple of our Lord Jesus Christ, urging believers in his own day, makes the point that we must test the spirits. Let me read the text, and then we will go through it slowly together. 1 John chapter 4, verse 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming, and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world. And the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of error, rather the spirit of truth, and the spirit of Era. The words that we have just read really are in a parenthesis. The Apostle John has just been giving some two major tests for genuine conversion in chapter 3. The first, which he dealt with from about verse 4 down to about verse 10, is a moral test. 
That if a person is still living in sin, it doesn't matter what he might be claiming about his Christianity, he is still in sin, he is still lost, he's still on his way to hell. Because Jesus primarily came in order to undo the work of the evil one. And so if the work of the evil one is still alive and well in a soul, then what has that person been saved from? That is his first line of argument. The second test is that of love. And it's really in the context of showing that if Jesus has saved you, you will not only love God, but you will also love others. You will love the brethren particularly that John takes this slight detour at the beginning of chapter 4 before coming back again to this subject in verse 7. When he says, dear beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. It is while he's dealing with the subject of love that then he deals with this subject of testing the spirits. What is it that causes him to go into this direction? Well, it's the very last statement that we find at the end of chapter 3. He says there, And by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. In other words, the Spirit of God is the one who is doing something in us, which I will mention in a moment or two, and it is that witness that ought to assure us that we are children of God that we are indeed on our way to heaven. And what is that which the Spirit of God is doing? Well, let me begin from verse 23. It says there, chapter 3 and verse 23, And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God, and God abides in him. Essentially, it is this, that the Spirit of God causes us to obey God in a general way, in other words, in all that which he has revealed of himself. And Apostle John here particularly pulls out that of Believing in Jesus as Lord and Savior. But he also speaks about the commandment of God that we might be individuals who are full of love. Love to others and especially love to the people of God. It is this ministry of the Holy Spirit in our hearts that John is speaking about, that the Spirit is at work and he ought to be producing this fruit in us. It's from there that he launches out in what we are looking at uh, this afternoon, and that is test the spirits. In other words, don't just accept whatever it is 
that is being brought your way. This passage particularly challenges us to be wary of believing anyone who comes our way in religious language or religious dressing. Even if he claims to have opened up the Bible and quoted one or two verses from there, don't. Instead, put on your thinking cup, put on a sense of discernment for dear life's sake, not only your life, especially if you are a teacher and preacher in the church of Christ, for the sake of the lives of the people of God who are under your care. I said at the very beginning of this message that we, all of us are dealing with this reality concerning the blossoming of the charismatic movement. And for many we are faced especially with the bad and the ugly. And we do need clarity. The passage that we have just read in 1 John chapter 4 gives us three areas in which we must have clarity. Three areas. First of all, we need clarity on the duty of testing the spirits. The duty of testing the spirits. In other words, it is something we must not be hazy about. It is something that we must not be ashamed about. It is something that should cause us to pull out the sword of the spirit and get into earnest action. The Apostle John puts it this way. Beloved, do not believe every spirit. The point he's making there is that we must not be spiritually careless so that anything and anyone that comes in the name of Jesus surely should be a servant of God. Don't. Do not believe every spirit. Rather, we must test the authenticity of preachers. And that's what he says at the end of that same verse. But test the spirits to see whether they are from God. He gives the reason that was true then and is even more important today. And it is this. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. Many false prophets have gone out into the world. In other words, because of that, you desperately need to be vigilant. If the American government was to produce uh, a, a, a statement uh, to say that it has come to the attention of the, the, the nation, the government, that there are a lot of false dollars on the market. I'm almost certain that all of you will take out your wallets 
and begin to examine the notes that you have there, suddenly you would become vigilant. But what is money compared to the welfare of human souls? When John makes the point here in his own day that many false prophets have gone out into the world, he's using an argument there that all of us should be able to understand If we love our own souls and the souls of others, if we want to know joy and lasting happiness in the end, if we do not want to be ashamed when we finally meet with God our maker, we must be vigilant. I had a friend of mine a few years ago who was traveling from Zambia to South Africa for a conference, and as he was crossing the border from Zambia into Zimbabwe, he decided to exchange the Zambian currency with the South African currency. Instead of doing it in an appropriate bank, he did it on the streets. He wasn't vigilant. Traveled all the way through Zimbabwe, arrived at the South African border, he had to pay some fees. And that's where he was told that the money he had paid was fake. He pulled out the rest of the money that he had in his pocket, and each one of those notes was fake. He had to borrow some money in order to make a U-turn and find his way back into Zambia. Thankfully, there were some people that were able to help him. He was embarrassed. He was ashamed. He was a pastor changing money on the streets. That's not the kind of thing you want to admit publicly. But my point is this. At least he had the opportunity to come back That's not going to happen when you die and discover on the other side that what you thought you had was the genuine faith was actually fake. There is no second chance. There is no coming back. And that's the reason why vigilance at this point is vital. It is so important. We have too many individuals, even today, going by the name of prophets, apostles, or whatever other terms they might be, but at least making this claim that they have received a word from the Lord. And so many individuals who are Christians are living today by that kind of menu. Day by day, wanting to hear these individuals and what it is that they have heard from God. Sadly, even such individuals don't take time to say to themselves, okay, does that line up with a good old book? They're not taking the time to test the spirits but instead are simply accepting because this individual with all kinds of titles to their names, these individuals 
as saying, God spoke to me. John says, test the spirits. Have we accepted that reality? That it is our responsibility to not simply believe whatever people say. When John here is speaking about testing the spirits, he's really speaking in terms of testing teachers, testing preachers, testing those who are making proclamations in the name of God. Because spirits don't sort of hang like some kind of cloud in the midst of meetings like this so that we can hear their voices. They communicate through human speech organs. In other words, they influence individuals and then those individuals speak. Towards the end of my message, one of the passages I'll draw your attention to will be 2 Thessalonians. And it, Paul makes the point there that they are deceiving spirits, obviously using human beings. Have you, as a church pastor, as a church leader, as somebody who's serious about the work of ministry, have you become clear in your mind that this is a duty that you have to test the spirit? The second aspect that John deals with here in which we need clarity is how to test the spirits. How to test the spirits. Thankfully, John makes it abundantly clear that we do so through the test of orthodoxy. The test of orthodoxy. In other words, how is the theology... And more specifically, how is the Christology of these individuals who are speaking in the name of God? Look at the way he puts it here in verse 2. John says, by this you know the Spirit of God. Uh, The Spirit that was being spoken about at the end of chapter 3. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And here is the opposite. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. The test of orthodoxy. It's fairly clear from this passage of scripture that in John's day, heresy surrounded the nature of the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Gnostic heresy would have been what John would have had in mind as he was warning the people of God here. Uh, that those who are in error are propagating this heresy and they are not possessed by the Spirit of God. No, a thousand times no. That is the spirit of error. 
Today, heresy around the person of the Lord Jesus Christ is literally in every aspect of his person and his work. In every aspect. I don't know about America. I don't know about the many other countries that are represented here. I think we're being told there are about 60 countries in attendance. One of the areas that I'm very concerned about where I live and where I minister with respect to the person of Christ is the way in which the blood of Christ is more of a charm to protect our property and our lives. Exactly what witch doctors do with the blood of chickens and various other animals. The understanding of sprinkling the sprinkled blood of Christ is not so much that it cleanses our consciences from dead works, but rather it protects our property and our lives from being snatched away from us. Indeed, the blood of Christ is meant to bring us good luck. And so, if you're failing to get a job, you're failing to get married, you're failing to, to have a business to thrive, well, the blood of Jesus is meant to, to keep away the, the forces of darkness so that you may therefore thrive in each and every one of those areas. Is your womb failing to bring forth children? The blood of Christ is supposed to unblock that system so that you might now begin to have children. And as we shall soon be seeing, thousands upon thousands of individuals flock to such places. That's not the biblical teaching concerning the cross of Christ concerning the blood of Christ, concerning the death of Christ, it is not. You just have to look at a book like uh, the book of Romans to begin to see what the Apostle Paul speaks about concerning the cross. Beginning with the reality of sin and idolatry in Romans chapter 2, and Romans chapter 3, throwing in the Jews as well with respect to the way in which sin has manifested itself even among those who are religious within the context of uh, Judaism. The Apostle Paul finally lands in Romans chapter 3, verse 21 downwards with what has taken place on the cross. He speaks in terms of the fact that we are justified freely by God's grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. 
In other words, the main issue that is taking place at the cross is not so much the protection of my beautiful metallic gray car outside. But it's reconciling me to the living God. That's the main issue. It is a justification, a redemption, a propitiation that's taking place there as the Son of God bleeds and dies. The Apostle Paul develops from there what we're learning earlier concerning imputation all the way through chapter 5. That's the arithmetic that has taken place there, the the mathematics that took place there. God taking our sin and putting it to Jesus' account and Jesus' righteousness being put to our account and that on the basis of that transaction, which is done, it's complete, 100% done, God would accept us freely. He goes into dealing with the reality of sin, remaining sin, even in believers. Chapter 6, chapter 7, chapter 8, with that glorious crescendo, speaking in terms of nothing shall separate us from the love of God which is in Jesus Christ. He goes on to deal with election and eschatology in chapter 9, 10, and 11. And finally, before going to the application of all this, are those glorious words in chapter chapter 11, towards the end. Oh, the depth of of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Now friends, that's Christianity. That's the gospel. That's the glorious message of the cross and what is the primary fruit from that cross. A glorious life in relationship with God, knowing this God in the fullness of what he has done for us in Christ Jesus. And when you read all this, this is the exact opposite of the menu that is often attributed to Christ in the world that I am concerned about here. A world in which the promise that is made to the people is that in fact, Everything is now supposed to be going very well with you. 
There should be good health in your body, a fat bank account, and everything else going well around you. That's not what you find in this text. Rather, what you find here is something like this. For your sake, we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. That's what you find. True Christianity does not save us from the kind of testimony we heard earlier on today in Spain with Danny. It doesn't. But that's what is being propagated as having been purchased for you on the cross. What a lie. What a terrible lie. What a hellish lie. The testing of the spirits must be based on orthodoxy. Those who teach biblically sound theology and Christology are the ones we should be presupposing as true teachers. And listen to this. Those who teach heretical theology, heretical Christology, should be presupposed to be false teachers. You cannot believe wrongly and then live correctly. You can't. When you have embraced a seriously faulty theology or Christology, it's a matter of time. Scandals begin. And back home, 99% of the times when there's a, a headline in a newspaper and it's about a pastor whose skeletons have fallen out of the wardrobe. You just have to now read the fine print and it's some Ministry International with the most weird names on the planet. The reason is simple. Bad theology produces bad lives. You can pretend for a while. You can paint that tomb with bright white paint. Inside, you still have dead men's bones. A faulty Christology never saved a soul. It is the real biblical truth concerning the life and death of our Lord Jesus Christ that saves sinners, that sanctifies the people of God. 
And therefore, that's the test that we must use. That's the test that we ought to use. Are you clear about that? That's the second area that we need clarity on. The test of orthodoxy. The test of orthodoxy. But let me hurry on finally. The fact that we need clarity on why it is that so many people follow false teachers and yet we do not. There are many individuals that get quite bothered about this and it it leaves them vulnerable to this haziness that makes them think perhaps there might be something there after all. Why is it that the error that is so obvious to you is equally so attractive to thousands of people? Well, John gives us the answer here. And he gives us the answer in a number of ways. First of all, it is this. It is because you are from God, he says. Let's just read that verse together. Verse 4. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. You see, the Spirit of God, through whom you were born again, and consequently you got converted to Christ, you you repented and believed the gospel. The same Spirit of God, who has since come to dwell in you, through whom your spiritual life is growing. You are being sanctified. You are growing from one degree of glory to the other. That spirit of God is the spirit of truth. He is the spirit of truth. At the end of the passage that we have read, these are the words we see here. Listen to this. Verse 6 and the very end. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. And because he is the spirit of truth, he guides you in truth. He gives you a sense of direction. You you are enabled by him as he opens your eyes to the truths of this book to to sense when somebody is teaching something that contradicts the good old book. The Spirit of God causes you to have a jealousy for the truth of God. And because of that, You are an overcomer. Even when 
everybody is heading in the opposite direction, you shake your head and you still go against the flow. The Spirit of God who is in you. He is greater than he who is in the world. And consequently, he protects you. Praise God that you are not alone. Praise God that he did not just save you and leave you to yourself. Praise God that he who said, let there be light and there was light. The God who is light itself dwells in your soul. Praise God. But secondly, John puts it this way. That the reason worldly crowds follow false teachers is because they tell them worldly stuff. The very things they want to hear. Listen to verse 5. They are from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world and the world listens to them. That's the second reason. That's the reason why motivational speaking has become the regular menu in so many pulpits. Because all it does is to say to people, God wants you to be great. 2020, your year of greatness. That's what everybody wants to hear. And so they will be there in their numbers. There are thousands because it is what their itching ears want to hear. They are being offered, as we saw earlier on, fat bank accounts, physical healing, marriages, children, property, etc., etc. That's what they want to hear. Often, we get angry only with false teachers who have filled this movement to the point where those who are conservative among them feel ashamed. But the more I've thought about it, the more I've realized that we must also point a finger on the thousands of people that are rushing after them. In other words, it's the world chasing the world. Or, as the Apostle Paul had put it to Timothy, in Second uh, Timothy chapter 4 and verse 3, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, notice, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. Who is doing the accumulating? It's not the false teachers. It's the individuals who are rushing there. 
They're the ones who are saying, these are our top guys. Because they sing us to sleep in the sleep of death. And we love it. We love it. To accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Oh friends, that's the second thing that uh, John is saying here. It is the fact that it's the world chasing the world. Now we need clarity there. Especially when we we are plowing hard ground and our churches are, are not flourishing and, 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 and feeling to, to overflowing. It's very easy to come unstuck, to change your ways, to also start declaring and decreeing. That 2020 is a year of greatness. It's very easy. But if we can just have this clarity that it's gods chasing gods, it's wolves chasing wolves, it's the dead chasing the dead, that this is not Christianity, it is but a back door into hell. And therefore, I have nothing to do with it. I must remain faithful. But thirdly and lastly, John says, listening or not listening to the apostles identifies who you really are. So he spoke about little children, you are from God. He spoke about they are from the world. And he ends by saying, we are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. And by this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. The we in this text is no doubt John and his fellow apostles who were combating the heretics. And what he's saying is this, that these men were not only regenerate, that is, John and the other apostles, but they were actually inspired by God. They spoke from God. Their writings are inspired. And because they are inspired, they are preserved by God for us in the scriptures. So those who are truly converted, those who are truly regenerate, those who are also born of God, will listen to them. They will. They will. And that's again where that clarity needs to be. Very quickly, Second, First Corinthians and chapter 2. First Corinthians chapter 2. The Apostle Paul puts it this way in verse 12. Now 
we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. We are giving that which is spiritual, and the spiritual are accepting. But listen to the opposite, because that's what John goes on to say. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. Listen to verse 14, 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 14. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him and is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Oh, that we may have that clarity. It will help us a long way to realize that God, the Spirit, must work in our human souls to regenerate us, to open our eyes in order for us to see the truth as it is in Christ and to embrace it with all our lives. He has to open our eyes. The opposite is no doubt what God has done in our day and age. And I promised you that I would take you finally to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And with that, I must hurry on to end. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, just verse 9. To verse 11. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing. Notice that. For those who are perishing. Because they refuse to love the truth and so to be saved. Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion. So that they may believe what is false. In order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. John is telling us here that that's where the division is. This is how we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. It is those who are willing to submit their beliefs and their practices to this book, to that which inspired servants of God have, as they've been led by the Spirit, penned down for us today. Those who are willing to submit their practice to this book, because that's where the apostolic writings are. Those who are willing to do so, those are the individuals who will speak in terms of the spirit of truth is at work in me. The spirit of truth is indeed leading me. The spirit of truth is guiding me to heaven. Those who reject this, 
and instead are believing every spirit, will end up believing the spirit of error to the damnation of their souls. Oh, brethren, what do we say as we conclude? First of all, I'll be the first one to admit that it wouldn't be right to paint everyone in the charismatic movement with the same brush. I said at the very beginning, we have the good. But we also have the bad and the ugly. The greatest need today is for discernment. And that's where my concern lies as I stand before you to speak. That the very people who speak so much about the Spirit are not taking the time to test the spirits. And here is John taking the trouble to warn believers in the midst of speaking about love, love which the Spirit of God himself inspires. He warns them and says, test the spirits, test the spirits. And that is not just for the first century believers, it is for us too, more so for us in the 21st century. When so much that is being done and said in the name of Christianity borders on complete abnormality and disaster. We, of all people, must have the kind of clarity that John is giving here. First of all, that we must not remain silent. That we must engage actively in testing the spirits. And then number two, that the test must be based on orthodoxy. We ourselves must know biblical doctrine, sound doctrine. We must live by it, especially with respect to the person and work of Christ, because based on that, we will be enabled to separate wheat from chaff. But thirdly and lastly, it is through the scriptures, through the scriptures, our ability to rest assured that our line of action is not simply that of joining crowds, but that of being faithful to the God of the Bible by being faithful to the scriptures of God. Oh, brethren, what a challenging time we live in today. What a challenging time. All of us desperately need to have that clarity in the midst of all the noise, of all the crowds, of all the claims, to be able to see through all this 
as God has revealed in his word. I mean, an obvious example is today with this coronavirus. Why haven't all these faith healers jumped into aeroplanes and gone to China? Why not? Why should they simply continue talking about helping us to heal from a little ache here and another ache there? When tens of thousands of people are dying, test the spirits. See whether they are really from God. You need to, for your own soul and for the souls of those who listen to you, may it be that when history is over or you are gathered with your fathers, God may say, well done. Because you tested the spirits. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, what challenging times we live in today. What challenging times. So much to thank you for. It's so much that leaves us Weeping and bleeding in the soul. Oh God of heaven, may it be that those of us whom you've called to be guides, to be shepherds, to be teachers and preachers, may it be that we will have great clarity in a day and age when so many people have abandoned the sufficiency of Scripture and are claiming to be hearing from you directly, independent of your word. Oh, Father, help us. Help us to stand as a lighthouse in the midst of the seas. Helping weary travelers to find their way home. Oh God, help us, we pray, for Jesus' sake. Amen.